It's Wednesday, May 10th, and welcome back to another episode of Thoughts and Meditations on Christianity, a podcast devoted to just that. Today we look at the issue of abortion from a Christian worldview. Of all the polarizing issues that envelop our country, perhaps the greatest of our generation is the issue of abortion. Some may say marriage equality, but I would argue that the loss of human life is a far more pressing issue. The killing of children is nothing new in the history of humanity. As we saw last week in our look at truth, nothing completely new ever happens in history. Rather, we see repackagings of previous events to fit the mindsets of the current culture. The killing of the young is no different. The Old Testament mentions the Canaanite god Molech multiple times, and Yahweh is more than aware of the unjust carnage that is being done in its name. An excerpt of the Levitical laws reads the following, Any one of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. End quote. God took the killing of children infinitely seriously. The practice of child sacrifice to Molech was as follows quote, Each idol had a hole in the abdomen and possibly outstretched forearms that made a kind of ramp to the hole. A fire was lit in or around the statue, and babies were placed in the statue's arms or in the hole. When a couple sacrificed their firstborn, they believed that Molech would ensure financial prosperity for the family and future children. The sacrifice of the young was no different hundreds of years later as Mesoamerican tribes continued the practice of appeasing their god's anger. Personally, I vividly remember witnessing firsthand a historic site of death in Nicaragua, the Messiah Volcano. Here, early inhabitants, in response to the activity of the volcano, would hurry to appease the apparent anger of their gods by casting young children into the fiery depths below. In just these two examples, we have seen that the utmost protection and care of the young is not always a given in human society, nor is it a given in the 21st century considered to be the most advanced century in human history. But the advancements of civilization are irrelevant and undone when the moral decay of the people overcomes it. One might ask ancient Rome, how did feeding human beings to lions for entertainment work out for you? So that brings us to the question of this blog. Is the rise and acceptance of abortion in the United States a result of the moral decay of the people? And if so, what should the response of the church be? Can abortion be likened to the child sacrifices of history, a.k.a. murder, or is it an entirely different issue altogether? There are many intricate parts to this issue, and I will attempt to do my best to cover them all. The first question we must answer is the question of the relationship between abortion and the moral decay of American citizens. Have the morals of the American people decreased in recent decades? any routine churchgoer would respond with a resounding yes. But is that the case? Well, yes and no. I argue that the inward morality of Americans has not changed, but the outward morality has. Let me explain what I mean. 
What is the reason for God's moral law? We know from Scripture that it's not possible to be saved by adherence to it. So what was the purpose of it? There are many reasons for it. Maybe most popular is the, quote, mere explanation, which postulates that the law shows man just how sinful he really is. But for our purposes in this article, we will focus on another purpose behind the law, the role of a restrainer. In other words, the law seeks to keep man from being as bad as he possibly could be. John Calvin summarized this idea best when he wrote, quote, They are restrained, not because their inner mind is stirred or affected, but because, being bridled, so to speak, they keep their hands from outward activity and hold inside the depravity that otherwise they would wantonly have indulged in. Consequently, they are neither better nor more righteous before God. Hindered by fright or shame, they dare neither execute what they have conceived in their minds nor openly breathe for the rage of their lust. End quote. So in one sense, the morality of the country has stayed the same. In the same way, all of humanity's morality has been woven together since the fall, from which the common depravity that we all share comes from. People committed murder in this country 200 years ago, just as they do today. And people committed adultery 200 years ago, just as they do today. But in another sense, we would be right in saying the morality of Americans has deteriorated. The church has lost much of the influence it once had in earlier decades. What was deemed socially acceptable 200 years ago is not what is deemed acceptable today, and vice versa. The laws of God held more weight in times past, whether one was a Christian or not. People were far more, quote, religious before. For example, adultery is far less critiqued now than it was then. So what does this have to do with abortion? I argue that abortion is just another example of how morality waxes and wanes throughout time depending on the current social expectations. As the outward morality of Americans decays, practices such as abortion are celebrated, something that was unheard of before 1973. So is there a relationship between the rise of abortion and the morality of the people? Most certainly, yes. So one can reason that abortion and morality are forever linked, but perhaps another may come along and argue that abortion is not murder, so why are we even having this conversation? Even more so, they may argue that abortion is a legal practice, therefore making it not murder. We must come at this with a twofold response. First, is abortion murder? I guess that depends if you believe a fetus is a human being and therefore making the killing of it murder as opposed to killing a rabbit. How should we define a human being? I will purposely leave out scriptural definitions for the sake of making my point irrefutable in the minds of unbelievers. What are some definitions we can't use? Well, we can't define a human being as someone who is able to reason. Otherwise, we must rule out those born with debilitating mental disabilities as not being human. We can't say a human being is someone who isn't dependent on someone else for survival. Otherwise, we would have to rule out all infants, most children, and again, those with mental disabilities. Science has proven time and time again that at the moment of conception, the DNA that is created is without a doubt human. If one were to test the DNA of a fetus not knowing it was a fetus, they would see that the test would come back positive 
for human DNA, not fetus DNA. The only differences between myself and a fetus are age, location, and how much we depend on someone else for survival. A fetus is no less human than an infant than an infant is to a seven-year-old, and a seven-year-old is no less human than an 18-year-old who has passed through puberty and came out forever changed. Level of development is irrelevant to what denotes a human being. Oxford dictionaries define a human being as, quote, a man, woman, or child of the species Homo sapiens distinguished from other animals by superior mental development, power of articulate speech, and upright stance, end quote. But because a fetus does not yet have superior mental development or articulate speech, does that mean it's not human? Again, no mother who gives birth to a baby with mental disabilities would refer to their baby as a creature or animal. Rather, they know that in their hands they hold a human being. Secondly, can abortion be considered murder if it's legal? I argue that legality does not equal morality. This argument will be short yet succinct. The laws, decrees, and edicts a government declare does not make them moral and right by default. A law is no more moral than the person making the law. We'll use just one example from history, that being Nazi Germany. With this one example, we can turn the claim that legality does equal morality on its head. The Third Reich did a lot of immoral stuff. No one would argue that. Jews were exterminated, people were experimented on, yet all these actions were sanctioned by the totalitarian government in power. How do we respond to this? Anyone with blurry vision would see that Hitler was wrong, even though what he was doing wasn't illegal in his country. We must see this period of German history as a typology of our current predicament in this country. And finally, we answer the last question in this post, what is the role of the church concerning abortion? Can we afford to be pro-choice? And perhaps deceptively worse, can we afford to be neutral on this matter? As far as the universal church, we must not be afraid to get our hands dirty in the political realm. As a matter of principle, I think the church must be very hesitant towards getting entangled with politics but I believe social issues are the natural realm in which the gospel must shine through the church. We must stand for the rights of the tiny human beings being murdered daily. We must stand for the mothers who forego abortion and seek to help them in any way we can, whether through adoption or through financial support. The church cannot turn a blind eye to the culture of death being propagated by Planned Parenthood, and if we're being honest with ourselves, the church has lost much of the influence it once had. I'm not talking about the typical politician or evangelical leader who prescribes to quote Christian values in order to further their own status and influence, but I'm talking about true gospel impact that is only leveraged by the church when the church acts like the church and less like a World War II bunker. Abortion is ultimately the result of the depravity of man, and the only remedy to that is the transforming power of the gospel. Ultimately, no closings of Planned Parenthood buildings or changes to policy will change the human heart, but the Holy Spirit can and will. On a related and final note, is a pro-choice Christian an oxymoron? Again, much like moral decay, the answer is yes and no.
Can a Christian believe that abortion is the choice of the woman? Yes. Will that same Christian who is going through the process of sanctification hold to those same convictions forever? Absolutely not. Abortion is so contrary to the nature of God that his children can't be contrary to his nature forever. I view the pro-choice Christian the exact same way I view the Christian struggling with sin A, B, or C. When we are washed by the blood, we are made positionally sinless, but not practically. So the rest of our life here on this earth is devoted to the God who brings our hearts and minds towards glorification through the means of sanctification. We bring so much baggage into our Christian lives. Some miraculously falls off immediately, yet some is far more persistent. The pro-choice mentality is one of those things many bring with them, but it can't be a part of them forever. I also want to speak very quickly on the issue of abortion concerning the raped. I concede that many Christians who side with the pro-choice movement are not pro-abortion all across the board. Many fall into the, quote, special circumstances camp. But I offer one piece of knowledge, and it's this. If you believe in a sovereign God, a God who is sovereign over even sin, do you believe that God can work good out of evil? The response to the horrid nature of rape is to not meet it with murder. Rather, we trust that God, who worked good through evil in the life of Joseph, Jesus, and others, has something glorious planned for that mother and child. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You can check me out on Facebook at brett.flora.9 or on Twitter at 27 underscore brett underscore 91. For a transcript of this episode, please go to brettflora.co. I'll see you again next week with a fresh pod.